Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Descent into Avernus and various other adventure modules that we want to play, as well as putting a timer on your encounters or in your game to create tension, and Lucian has problems countering Counterspell. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another Saturday morning. Here we are in the the throes of summertime, but we're still playing Dungeons & Dragons a ton. Oh, yeah. Like we were just talking beforehand that I'm playing uh, three games (laughs) all on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And talking about doing another game. Uh, and yeah, like, I'm just, and I'm in a play and I've got a baby on the way and it's a lot of crazy stuff here. So uh, I'll, we got some new people in YouTube chat that are tuning into the show for the first time. So I want to say welcome, like uh, Face Punch. Welcome, Face Punch. Uh, it's really good to have you here. That's a great username. So super fun. Um, if you're new here, we're a Dungeons and Dragons talk show and we kind of just talk about news like lore, things we find interesting, uh, new releases, and then we kind of wrap it up and talk about our home games that we're currently running and or playing in and the different challenges that we have uh, kind of uh, that that come about through playing Dungeons and & Dragons and so that you can learn and everyone can learn from us and we can learn from you and it's really great. So uh, yeah, excited to have you guys here. Uh, yeah. Definitely. So, starting off with some news, uh, Boulder's Gate—that's that's happening. Yeah, I think we've talked about it quite a few times. I just I thought I'd put it in the notes again just to keep those dates in mind. Nine seventeen, so the seventeenth of September, which is if we look at our clock, thirty-ish days from now. Um, yeah, we've got one month to go. So, if you're running your Salt Marsh campaign, somebody I know. Just got to wrap that up because you got to be ready to bring your your characters to Baldur's Gate, right? You just got to uh, keep. <laughs> I think we we talked about it with my group of my Saltmarsh group, and I think when Saltmarsh, I think we're going to finish Saltmarsh. Obviously, we like Saltmarsh; it's a lot of fun. But uh, there's been a lot of talk of doing Descent into Avernus, uh, Avernus. Sorry, um, after after that, but we probably basically we've kind of just skipped over Dungeon of the Mad Mage and uh Waterdeep Dragon Heist mm-hmm. which is funny because my DM was like super excited about Waterdeep Dragon Heist and he read the whole thing and he plotted out everything and we were all set to play that but then Acquisitions Incorporated came out and now we're all really excited to play that so we're end up going to play we're going to play that instead of Waterdeep Dragon Heist so yeah. part of me is like maybe I should pick up Waterdeep because everyone says it's a really good like lore resource for the city of Waterdeep Mm-hmm. But I specifically didn't pick it up because I didn't want to have spoilers if I was going to play in it. But it looks now like I probably won't be playing in it, um, which is just kind of funny how that happens. Like you get wrapped up in one campaign and then you kind of miss one or two and then whatever. But uh, I was talking again with my DM about it and I'm like, I feel like a lot of those I can read them and enjoy them and be like, I might never run this or get to play in it. But at least I kind of know the overall story and and. And it's they're fun to read. Like I like reading adventure books. They're just fun to read. Yeah. So, well, in certain campaign books they put out are books that you could run for a year or two before you finish. Like mm-hmm. if you did Storm King's Thunder, that's a two year campaign if yeah. you run through the whole thing. Um, I would think 
uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage could be a two, three, or four-year campaign because you're going from levels one to 20 yeah. or five to 20, however you want to decide to do that. So that's interesting. But then you have books like Salt Marsh, which I think you can get done a little bit quicker, like um, Tales from the Yawning Portal. You can string those together a little quicker and you can get those ones done. So it's a nice mix at the moment of books that you could probably complete before the next one's out versus there's no way you're going to complete the one before the next one's out. So now you got to decide what you're going to do or how you're going to incorporate that. Yeah. Um, And then there's the people that just buy them and steal ideas for their homebrew campaigns, Mm -hmm. because there's a whole, like, that's a whole thing, which is funny that I, I, I miss doing a homebrew campaign. um, Mm -hmm. But there's so much content from wizards that I want to play that I I just am like every time I think about running another homebrew campaign I'm like but then we're not playing Tomb of Annihilation like we're not playing Waterdeep we're not playing Acquisitions Incorporated and and I feel like I'm missing out on these adventures not like diving into them uh, right. by running a home a home game and I wonder if other people feel like that too you can let us know in the chat if you feel that way as well so yeah. <laughs> I've been enjoying watching other groups play them usually I'll watch Adam Koble's group go through some of the main stuff and I enjoy watching their characters kind of go through stuff it's funny you say that because I think all of my stuff is homebrew campaign if I'm running it I don't except for Storm King's Thunder was the only yeah official one I ran which is that, that on hiatus or is that finished like are you yeah that kinda... one that one fizzled out when the group of people we couldn't get the schedules together yeah um with the group of people so and i haven't really gathered another group to to throw them back at the middle of that it may come back at some point if schedules ever come back around um because i did enjoy the module and it was my first dungeons and dragons official module that i was going to try to do as a dungeon master Mm -hmm. because everything before that had just been homebrew stuff or stuff i was making up but i'm also really loving like you said the homebrew stuff because i can grab things so like when ravnica came out the book ravnica came out i grabbed the races from that and put them in my world because i just loved the extra races the playable races so i had aloxodon in our campaign and we had this other stuff that was pretty fun the other book i want to grab stuff from for my campaign is um Baldur's Gate uh descent to I always say uh, I saw people in chat talking about how to pronounce it. I say Avernus because it, I was understood in one of their videos they said it's like saying a furnace mm-hmm. say Avernus but I I think when I originally read it I, I would say it like you did Avernus yeah yeah change that, that but who cares I've been it's trying to pronounce it correctly because people are yeah but nobody yeah, yeah. you get it you, more than you, anybody it, because you do more <laughs> videos so you have to be correct I don't <laughs> have to let's be honest it is an interpretation <laughs> but yeah right right so I think that's good so I'm gonna grab um I have a nice big demon verse devil um thread going through my campaign right now where there's the devils have hired my group to help keep the demons down and mm-hmm. so it's like they're picking the the lesser evil of two evils, but that's still going to be bad in some way. And I'm sure that book is going to have some stuff in it that's going to be really cool and relevant to what I could do in mind. It, even if it's just more devil and demon stats, more types of those creatures that I can throw at them. Um, maybe an infernal machine fight at some point could be really cool. So I don't know if I'm going to send them to Baldur's Gate. I don't think that'll happen. They'll stay where they're at. But I like pulling things out. So I definitely think I'm the the dungeon master that's grabbing pieces from these books that are coming out yeah. though i'm not playing them but we all know people that you're playing you played through quite a few of them i'm playing in tomb of annihilation which i love we have dungeon masters that we all are friends with that are running the the official books as is so mm-hmm. no i i mean just to correct you there i have read almost all of them 
but mm-hmm. I've only ran parts of Tales of the Yawning Portal. I ran White Plume Mountain and Tomb of Horrors. Right. And I have uh, ran, and I, and I, yeah, and that's about it. And then I've read all of them, and I've been making like lore videos on like the lore you, campaigns explained, like the lore you should know if you're going to run this campaign. So I kind of do these in depth things, but, mm-hmm. but um, no, it's been all homebrew except for that. And then the, the one, uh, because we, instead of playing a Wizards of the Coast one, we played Hot Springs Island, which is not Wizards of the Coast, but a really fun, awesome adventure uh, that you should right. all check out. So, right. Well, and I'm I'm super excited for the one that they talked about, the re-release of the Tyranny of Dragons one, the one that they're putting two yeah, things Yeah, I'm curious together. about that. I'm really interested in that one, too. Like, I like that they're going to fix a bunch of stuff because there were some, like, glaring problems with the original one. And I like that they're going to put both adventures into one book, as it kind of should have been from the beginning. But, um, and I'm not alone in this opinion, um, is that it is kind of the, like, worst of all of the Wizards of, Co- of the Coast adventures so far. And I can see why they're, re- why they're re-releasing it because it was their first one. It launched fifth edition and why not do that? But, um, at the same, and so that's where I'm curious. I want to, I want to, I'm, I don't own those books. So I'm curious about picking up the re-release just to see how they fixed and changed it and make, maybe made it a little more balanced, a little more, give you a little more motivation to go from A to B rather than just kind of, well, as a dungeon master, you're supposed to go here. So let's go here. Like that's kind of how it feels, uh, how it was written a little bit. So yeah, um, and the cover art looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah, look beautiful. And it, I like the idea of a re-release, an anniversary release of those mm-hmm. things, and an updating of them, and, and putting two things together. I just like the the idea of that one. And it's dragons. I mean, if they just had a dungeon book, Dungeon of the Mad Mage, I guess would be a good one. And then dragons, you know, tyranny <laughs> dragons. That's you've got the two pillars of Dungeons and Dragons right there. So. So yeah, we're excited. I just thought we would throw out the date out there to keep it on everybody's radar. There's obviously other stuff coming out, like the the Rick and Morty's books coming out, but we talked about those, and you've, we've seen those dates and stuff that keep coming around. Um, all that stuff is happening like in this kind of uh, September, October, November time frame. We see a lot of releases, and I think that just lines up with the holiday releases so that a lot of people, if they want to get holiday gifts and stuff, yep. all Christmas. those things are on the shelves, ready to go and be gifted out to people. And we'll have probably... It's funny, like we say, we buy them all, even if we're not playing. Like we were just talking about your shelf right behind you where all your mm-hmm. books are. I mean, all those books are sitting down there, whether you, and you haven't played, you haven't ran any of them, like you said, or at least partial ones, yet you have them all and you love reading through them and you yeah, love they're having fun. them. So it's really cool. So we, we enjoy it. Um, the other thing I thought I'd, we know we're getting close. We talked a little bit about last week was Adventure League season nine. So they're, season eight's wrapping up. We're kind of in that middle area of, in between season stuff. And I just saw um, Greg Tito was talking about season nine should be starting October 29th is what he said is when the, the two adventures that have been created go live on DMs guild. Mm. Um, and that should be a little bit just after Baldur's gate. So it's, it's my understanding is Baldur's gate is season nine. And he kind of said that in the video. So I don't think they're changing from that, but he also did mention that they've gotten their feedback from the survey and they're still thinking about all their changes. So nothing's set in stone. They don't have the rules for season nine yet. And they're still talking about the treasure checkpoints that apparently they got a lot of feedback that people didn't like treasure checkpoints because that broke the immersion. And I kind of thought, I didn't put it in the notes, but I thought that was a weird thing to say about an adventure league game because you know what else breaks immersion? Not having the same group 
the next week you go into your game store to play. You know what else yeah. breaks immersion? The DM that's running some other adventure that has nothing to do with what you did a week ago. And now you're in, you know, uh, Dungeon of the Mad Mage Adventures League. Next week, you get a different DM at a different table. Maybe you're running, you know, whatever the, whatever well, else yeah. is out there. You know, so yeah, it doesn't. It's and it. We were talking. This is also not in our show notes, but it's an interesting topic. Uh, we were talking about just the lack of role play with Adventure League games because it is different people all the time. And it felt like when we were doing Adventure League games, or at least when I was doing Adventure League games, it was always kind of this awkward uh, trying to get to combat. Because in combat, we knew what to do and we had rules and stuff, but trying to get a bunch of, of, of random people together to try and like role play and, and make it happen just didn't work as much. Now I say that, but then I went to Gen Con and played a really great Dungeon Crawl Classics game where everybody was like role playing like crazy and everybody kind of like, no, I'm, I'm a, but then they hand them uh, NPCs or not NPCs. They hand them characters that uh, are very much like you're a farmer, you're this, like mm-hmm. you're an astrologer. And so you kind of, you kind of can build characters based off of just your job that your, your, your uh, character had. But yeah. uh but yeah, Adventure League was always kind of kind of just that awkward like can we just fight something because in fighting I have rules and structure and I know how to play the game, but outside of fighting it was like it was always just like can we get to our next fight? And so hmm. I don't know. Yeah. It's sometimes hard to build that um cohesiveness with a group at first. Yeah. Like even brand new campaigns with a brand new group of players that are coming together, they don't gel yet. They don't have their characters dialed in yet until they get in several sessions deep and now that chemistry starts to happen um and you're expecting that to happen you know each time you go to adventure league night or whatever like i would think in your dcc game if you they were handed i don't know a fourth level dcc characters instead of the the very first level stuff i think you can a lot of people can do but like if you just got handed these people that supposedly have existed in this world for a long time and have been adventurers for a Mm -hmm. long time how do you explain that? And why are we together? And why are we making these decisions? Or why do I care what you do right. when I've only met you 30 seconds ago? But you, I do agree at Gen Con, every group I played with, they all sat down and wholeheartedly role-played whatever character. It didn't matter what system it was. Mm-hmm. They jumped on their character. They were mostly given pre-mades and ready to run with it. So I wonder if that's a way to play like a, a Dungeons & Dragons game when you have a bunch of people you don't know. is maybe starting out with some pre-mades build that chemistry with the little group. And then if that group ever does stay together, then maybe move on to, okay, now everybody can create their own characters and do what they want. But that, yeah. that nice hair, here's some pre-mades and let's go. Mm-hmm. Interesting, interesting idea. I know. So other than that, news wise, we saw some lore you should know, which we always know Jordan puts out some good stuff. Uh, we saw Jordan's video this week, but I saw on the D and D channel, they talked about Thay Obviously, the Red Wizards part of it, <laughs> which is the part we mostly know about. Obviously, Thay has not existed the entire timeline, but it's the the piece that they focus on and they kind of talk where it's at. It's kind of up in the, what is that, the, the uh, great northeastern northeast from the area, Sword Coast. Yeah, yeah. of uh, Faerun. So, and, and it's interesting because Thay actually influences a lot of the Sword Coast, but they, they're all wizards for the most part. So they use portals to get here and mm-hmm. and do their their evil thayness on uh, in in like waterdeep and neverwinter and stuff um they've always kind of been this interesting far off villain that's very very present at the same time 
So mm -hmm. a magetocracy, I think is what they mm -hmm. call it, which I thought is a cool word. And uh, that's one of the things that Chris Perkins kind of said is that they've always been a really good, you want to have a big evil empire influencing what's happening with wherever your party is, then Thay has always been a good stand-in yeah. for a good evil in the background empire that still influences stuff that's going on. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty good. But they, he's also said that recently in the adventures they've been creating, they've been putting hints in that Thay is starting to have problems and not everybody is agreeing anymore. And maybe there's going to be a shakeup in Thay. So maybe that we're going to really cool. Something. Yeah. So maybe that's leading into an adventure that maybe at some point will take us off of the sword coast. Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and move us into some other part of Forgotten Realms, which is enormous. Well, and know? so I've been doing these Zakara videos, which is another continent on Toril, which is the planet where Faerun is at. And uh, there's just so much that they could do, but they all of their adventures, well, except for Chult, well, that was kind of cool. Like Tomb of That's Annihilation. That's kind of short coast, though, if you look at it. Well, it's, yeah, but it is, it's always been very separate. And it was a second mm -hmm. edition. Chult was very much a second edition thing that they took and they updated it to make it for fifth edition. Like there was a little bit of fourth edition stuff on Chult and there was a little bit of third edition, but for most part, it was a second edition, like jungles of Chult module that you're going to get the most of your lore and you're going to get all this stuff. And they, they took ideas like Rasnisi and uh, he's an NPC and they took him and they made him this cool, like instead of a human, like he had changed and he was no longer the Rasnisi of second edition. He was now the fifth edition version, which was drastically different from the rest of the game. Um, and it's really, really cool stuff. So they could potentially do it, but uh, I wonder if it's just, I wonder if it comes down to stories and they're like, this is the story we want to tell. And in order to tell that story, it would best be placed with they. And so that's when, that's when we get a like, Hey, I really want to tell this story. And then they look to where is the best place for that story to be told. And unfortunately, when you have characters like Jarlaxle and things like that, then you're going to be on the sword coast because they're mm -hmm. like, wow, I really want to tell this like heist story. And I want to use these villains like Xanathar and stuff. It's like, well, we've got to place it in Waterdeep then. So, mm -hmm. and I think it makes sense that they're still very supportive of Ed Greenwood and Ed though he has written of other places of Forgotten Realms, a lot of his more recent stuff and a lot of the stuff he still does now is kind of Sword Coast. Yeah, that's so his kind baby. kind of ties into so. that kind of stuff. And their main characters and their computer games that are coming out, mm -hmm. it's all, you know, Baldur's Gate and it's um, Waterdeep and these big towns that are right there on that coast. We yeah. don't really know, like we could say Thay, but what's the big couple of towns in Thay? Or what's the big couple of towns in you know, these other places, those aren't as known. We have to go to Jordan's channel to find those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jordan doesn't even know off the top of his head, uh, right, right? but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Research. And uh, I'm always, and, and so that was another really curious thing of like, well, we're going to have these, we're going to start again in Boulder's gate with descent into Avernus. And mm. then, but that's a huge step is to go to the nine hells. Like that's like planescape hopping stuff. And so I, yeah. it's kind of a, it's a, it, and again, it was probably like, Hey, we want to tell a story. This is the best way to tell this story. We need to have an anchoring point. Um, and I think there's also been a push to have the adventures kind of like link together. Like if you want to play storm King's thunder for a little bit and then dive into the underdark and play out of the abyss, you could come back up and finish storm King's thunder because they're all kind of happening. Like there's multiple threats to Faerun. And, yeah. yeah, and the timelines seem to be happening. So, like, the thing with the giants happened, and then after that, we get the 
um, the death curse happens. Yeah. So that is definitely the, the official kind of timeline of things going on. And then the death curse, whatever's happened with that, then we start talking about the water deep and the dungeon, of the mad mage, you might get back up there at that point. And then during that sailing time, you obviously can do any of the salt marsh stuff, mm-hmm. you know, because you got a lot of sailing adventure stuff in there. And then obviously moving back up to Boulder's gate, like you're saying. And I like how the idea that it brings us to Cholt brought us off the continent a little bit. So gave us a chance to get away from sword coast a little bit and to allow you to put it wherever you want. You could, you could decide how Cholt is in your game, however you want it to be. could be an Island instead of a peninsula, which I think most people even think of it as, but then descent into Avernus gives us, like you said, the planes walking the first real kind of official, we're going to move to another plane of existence of some sort. And Hey, let's go to the nine hells. One of the first levels of the nine hells and let's do that. So I think that's kind of cool too. So it's opening it up. It's definitely, we're in that mature part of fifth edition where I think they're not so worried about rules. They do want to add in some new features you can do, but they are starting to expand the overall world. And in all of those books, they usually have a paragraph at least talking about you could set this in the world of Greyhawk, or you could yeah. set this in the world of Eberron, or you could set this in in all these other places with a few minor tweaks or adjustments or put it wherever you want. You don't necessarily have to leave it in Forgotten Realms, though we love, I love Forgotten Realms myself. So, uh, The other lore you should know video that they put out, which I thought was an interesting one, they did like a D6 role where they had a bunch of community um, smaller ones, ones that weren't big enough to have their own show but were big enough that they wanted to have him and Chris Perkins talk about Greg Tito and Chris Perkins talk about. So we got a little bit of lore on gem dragons, which I didn't realize we had. I thought, cause Matt Colville made his gem dragons and he put them mm-hmm. in his book. And I thought, Oh, okay, that's cool. We have gem dragons now, but I didn't realize there were already gem dragons. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. He uh, said that they were in the original monster manual or, or maybe it was the second edition monster manual, but they've been around for a while. They just yeah. haven't, they're just not in fifth edition yet, except uh, for Colville's thing. Um, yeah, yeah. Cause I, I think thought, yeah. they started with a dragon magazine and how he remembers, like he was in dragon magazine 91. They started. <laughs> oh, like, I'm sure they do a lot of research before the show, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. <laughs> and, uh, but I've heard that's how he is. Like I've heard he just spouts that kind of stuff. Like that's the thing that stays in his head is hmm. that was in dragon issue. This, um, and then they called, they had something, they had a book out, must've been in third called the dragon Nomicon. Maybe yeah, that was a third edition book. Yeah. Think about that. Think about the names and what they did in some of those books and how they compared to fifth edition books. Like we don't have a fifth edition equivalent to dragon Nomicon, which is just like the know, lore and history of dragons. Yeah. 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 So we got Morton Cayman's tome of foes and we've got, um, Zolo's guide, right? Xanathar's guide to everything. We have Xanathar's guy, but we also have a Zolo. Or, or, uh, Volo. Olo. Yeah. Volo. You said e. Zolo. I was very confused. Volo's guide. Yeah. Volo's guide. To monsters yeah. or something. So we have a couple of those. So maybe that's their equivalent. And I just forget about them. But uh, so we'll see. Um, also, they talked about Blights, which I liked a lot because I used those quite a bit in my Seeking Revenor campaign to really harry my uh, players because they had not really ran into creepy stick figure evil plant kind of creature things they were used to knowing how to deal with goblins and kobolds and all these other things that they might run into they weren't ready for little needlemen or you know uh the, the different types of blights that you can get which were kind of cool talked a little bit more about modrons we, but we've had a discussion on modrons before so that was kind of a recap tarask was the same thing 
And then they said something wild space I thought was a really interesting one because we've talked about it with Spelljammer. And I got the impression when they talked about that, just as a, a funny note, you guys can go back and watch that. It's towards the end where they talk about wild space. But Greg Tito makes a joke about, again, Sp Spelljammer confirmed. And Chris Perkins gives this really snide kind of um, smirk on his face. And he's like, no, it's not confirmed and let me repeat it's not confirmed so i get this impression that maybe chris perkins doesn't like Spelljammer. so maybe he's one of the people that are also like we're i wonder never if he gets asked about it a lot and he's just like listen guys it's not happening can we put this to rest yeah, but yeah. people like tito keep it going because they think it's funny yeah um, so but i think it's possible too that there are some settings or there's some things material that maybe he just doesn't like personally like he's not maybe he just doesn't like that whole concept and that's yeah. not a book he wants to write. Or maybe, you know, there's all these, like there's a million other things we could write about, you know, because there was a, if I'm remembering correctly, there was a spell jamming helm, which is the like chair you sit in to control your spell jammer ship in dungeon of the mad mage. Like in mm -hmm. one of those many levels of dungeon of the mad mage, there was like a, a broken down lost spell jamming helm. So they're, they're keeping it alive and, and in some capacity. So, but I don't know. But it is, it's a very different, like, like, and I think in fourth edition, they were like, no, stars are stars. And in fifth, and then again, with Spelljammer, stars are not stars. There's a shell that, that encapsulates the, the known universe that we have, or, or the, the, the planetary system, your solar system. And what we think of as stars are just these pinprick holes that point to the, uh, plane of radiance that shine mm -hmm. radiance down on us. Um, so it's, uh, I don't know. It's just kind of like yeah it changed a lot space. of how of how people interpret like how how our actual universe is they really made their own like there are these weird shells and every universe has its own shell and our prime material plane is it's in these shells and then you can travel from shell yeah. to shell and so and i think it's a way to try to reinforce though they haven't done it a lot but they're trying to reinforce the idea that my D, &D world could be different than jordan's D, &D world could be different than you know but I could still travel animals. from my D and D world to Lucian's world. Yeah, is the idea yeah. that we're there's all a way that, that could, they yeah. all could exist together. And if we're going to do that, let's tie them loosely to a multiverse kind of idea. Here's a, a loose thread. We don't have to dive in it too much, and then we can move on. Mm -hmm. it explains it all away, which I think is the way you should do it because you all. I love the idea that they've gotten away from no, this is the world, and this is how it has to be to this is the world, uh, one of the worlds as we present it, and that can be your world, or you can change it or do whatever you want. They've really embraced the idea that the GM can make it very different if they want to, and I think that's a good way to go instead of saying, no, this is camp, and this is how it is in yeah. Forgotten Realms. Don't mess with it type thing, because you don't want to get into the, you know, that type of internet argument in these ages where it's like talking about canon or not canon and that kind well, of stuff. Well, and that's role-playing games. Like uh, I was just reading um, how to this book called How to Write Adventures That Don't Suck by Goodman Games. It's a really awesome book about creating um, adventures for D&D or for role-playing games in general. And they said in that book specifically, don't like it's a collaborative storytelling process. So don't be like, well, you guys have to go here because I say so because I'm the DM. And, and it's like, in that case, just write a book or write a short story. But if you want the, the world to evolve and, and if you, the idea is, is present problems for your players and then however they want to fix those problems is that's their choice. And, and you kind of like release control as a creative type. 
um, which is really difficult when you're writing an adventure because you kind of have like, here's the four ways I think that they could like beat the big bad evil guy, or Mm -hmm. here's the four ways they can finish this campaign. And then they do something completely different that can kind of upset you as a dungeon master or as a a writer where you're like, but I didn't plan for that, you know, and you kind of just have to like, let it go and and do it that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. And just leaning into creativity, letting the GMs kind of run it their way, I think is, is pretty good. Because you just don't want to make that fight. <laughs> you yeah. just don't want to say, this is the way it has to be. It just doesn't work out that way. Um, and there was, a, I think, at some point back in the day, it felt like that a little bit. Yeah. Our community was a little bit of, of that way. Oh, uh, goblins are this way, and goblins have to be this way in all campaign settings. And I like the idea that, no, my goblins can be very different than your yeah. goblins. My goblins have a swimming speed and can breathe underwater, and sure. are probably, they're water goblins, and they do all this yeah. other stuff, and they... They huck jars of acid at you. I'm like, well, that's yeah. not my goblin. Well, it's, this is my goblins. <laughs> Even the great example of that is just Eberron, the way that Keith took the different things and turned them around, mm. you know, turned some things upside down and made certain things not evil and made other things kind of yeah. evil. And, yeah, know, like, like I don't think the drow are evil and they live in jungles off the coast of Eberron, yeah. the continent of Eberron. They live in their own little area and they're just like these weird jungle elves. And mm-hmm. that's what he did with the drow. It was really cool. So the other thing we did get news-wise, which was really cool, we got a Unearthed Arcana article. Yeah, it's been a while uh, since we've had that. Yeah. Subclass for Barbarian and Monk, Wild Soul, and the Astral Self. Very interesting. So when we prefaced, we knew one was coming in our show. I think it was last week, and we knew it was coming. The thing I brought up was all of the other UA article stuff has influenced a book that's come out. Um, so when they, we know that all these things they're testing have some influence on a genre of book that they're about to put out. So when we saw um, followers and stuff and sidekicks that ended up coming out in one of the books, when we saw um, how to use um, vehicle rules, we're starting to see those things come out and books um, some of the subclasses they got, we got Xanther's Guide to Everything, and a bunch of those appeared in, in Xanther's Guide. So it always leads to something. So my question is, we're looking at it. We haven't really dived into the mechanics of these quite yet, but what is Wild Soul and Astral Self? The only thing I can think, think of is is maybe like a Feywild uh, book. Yeah. Like it might be like, here's the history of the Feywild for fifth edition or, or how to incorporate the Feywild in for fifth edition and like subclasses that relate to the Feywild. But it really feels, especially the, um, the barbarian that they took like a wild magic sorcerer and a barbarian and just smashed the two together because it's yeah. like your rage just causes these weird magical things that you can't control. Um, and there was an interesting topic on my Patreon discord where there are a discussion they were talking about this and how a couple of my uh, patrons were saying like they they just didn't like the idea of a magical barbarian that barbarians are like they're anti-magic or they're they're more divine it's like spiritual ancestral kind of things rather than tapping into an arcane magic um, mm-hmm. and my counter argument was like well what if you had like a barbarian eladrin from the feywild this would fit it very well and yeah. they were like, yeah, I could see that. But at the same time, and, and I see their point too. It was it was just a good discussion that we had where uh, 
it was it's a weird one the the monk makes a little more sense to me you're tapping into energies that's within you but the barbarian one was a little it was off and they're very overpowered uh i was <laughs> watching a video on people were discussing how strong these are and it's just like obviously they'll they'll probably tone them back in print because they like to they like to make them a little overpowered to see how people will use them and break them so that they know where to to pull back but yeah some of those some of those uh wild soul barbarian uh that that d8 that you can roll does crazy amounts of damage and gives you crazy amounts of temporary hit points so yeah yeah so it's definitely interesting um it we only have one other mechanic, like you're saying, and that's the sorcerer mechanic if you do the wild magic. So I mm. guess it makes sense if you're going to use another sub, even if you were going to have a fighter that somehow types in, taps into wild magic, or you're going to have a ranger that types and in, taps into wild magic. It's introducing this rollable table to see what results might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's interesting because I don't think that wild magic only has to be sorcerers, like you're saying, or, you know, like maybe people their minds go to first i think anybody could the the origin story of the the wild magic getting into somebody is so varied and and so crazy that it could happen to any type of person Mm -hmm. so i think i like the idea that they've kind of combined those two i think of the two i'd want to play i know a lot of people are saying that the one that they're really interested in is the monk and that's the one that they wouldn't mind trying out or playing i was i really like the barbarian because i think i like that that random mechanic to add some just craziness into what's going on. Mm-hmm. I've always been um, wanting to play a wild magic sorcerer. Um, and I really should, I just keep playing wizards and warlocks, but maybe I should jump into my sorceress uh, for my next character. Maybe I'll keep that in mind, but so that's out there. You can check it out. You could free download. It's obviously play test material for now. Um, but you know, I've added play test material into my games and yeah. play it like the Rangers and the, the different things so yeah we're currently playtesting the uh artificer in my salt marsh game so. i love the artificer i can't wait to see that in the official books it was yeah. a really good class really fun so that was the news i saw for the most part of dungeons and dragons um just a lot of the releases that we've been hearing about nothing too new but some good stuff that's out there on the channels obviously um you know you can always go and find i saw a bunch of stuff getting still put up by you know web dm had their stuff um uh, nate put out a video recently too you had your video so there's all kinds of this really good people talking about dungeons and dragons especially fifth edition stuff that you can find out there on the internet which is really nice so, yeah lots of lots okay. of D lots of quality dnd youtube right now um, yeah just search dungeons and dragons on youtube and you can find some <laughs> really good people making some really cool stuff. A lot of people that are underrated, like there's a couple of channels I've just discovered recently that have like seven to 800 subscribers. And I'm like, this is like really good. Like they should definitely get noticed more, but uh, it's all about, it's about time and waiting for the algorithm to pick you up and things like that. So it's YouTube's a, YouTube's a funny game, but, but on to games, Mr. Lucian, did you play any games this week? What did you play? What did you learn? How much fun did you have? All of it. I had all the fun. Um, (laughs) So after coming off of a two week break where, because of Gen Con got back into some rolling some dice, which was really fun. We did uh, my Monday night seeking revenue game, which is my West marches kind of game. Um, I threw a softball at them in a little bit of a way. They're, they're fifth level characters. And I went and flipped through the book because I said, let's do something iconic while they're on their way to go somewhere. And this was a, a DM tip or trick that I've learned recently, or at least in the last few years about, 
we were at a point in our campaign where they're at town. We're going to take a two week break. There's going to be a month of downtime that happens. And then when we come back for our session, we're going to pick up from there. But the reality is I have no idea in my wide open world where they're going to go next. So many dungeon masters might start to fret or start deciding I need to prep everything because I don't know where they're going. They could go to a town to the north. They could go to a dungeon to the south. They could go on a sea adventure to the west or, you know, whatever it might be. And you could really work yourself up into thinking, oh, my God, I need to have all this prepared because I don't know what they're actually going to choose. And the reality is you don't have to do that. All you have to do is prepare one encounter to get you through that session until you know where they're going so that you can then begin to prep all that other stuff you need to go. And now that I know where they're going and they've made their decision, I put a nice little encounter in there. We had some nice RP session. I I chose a Chimera, which was a nice CR6 creature that a party of four fifth level characters wiped out like within a, a round and a half. CR6 is clearly not a challenge for a, a party of five members. Um, so, but they got to fight a Chimera, which was cool. Um, we did something that was really funny too, because I thought this was just for the rule of cool kind of thing. They're like, you know what? We really want to be able to mount the Chimera's head back at our keep that we have, because now we're they have just finished completing fixing up their keep using the Strongholds and Followers rules. And why not have a big trophy room kind of thing of a chimera? That seems really cool. And I thought they were like trying to figure out the logistics. Should we go back? And I was just like, I'm going to hand wave all that. I'm just going to let you guys take that back with you. <laughs> it's going to be cool. You can mount it. It'll be kind of cool to have that up. So we did that. Um, so the key was just build a nice little encounter that gives you a breathing space until you know where they're going. So no matter where they were going to go, this was going to happen as just a, a random encounter, though it was not random. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that I had time to say, oh, they're going to the Black Pyramid. Okay, I can finish prepping all of the Black Pyramid stuff that I need to do. Because they're going to a nice evil Black Pyramid that's in my campaign, which is funny because some people may say, oh, didn't Jordan have a Black Pyramid in his campaign? Oh, Lucian's just stealing his ideas. But the truth is, I'm not stealing his ideas. I'm stealing Gary Gygax's ideas because I'm using a module from gary gygax from the old dungeons and dragons that i've dropped in my world and it just happens to have a big black evil pyramid um that has a bunch of nasty stuff going on in it and my players are heading that way so that's kind of cool um so that was fun to have them back into it back in and playing that was fun and then i had we finally get to what i really wanted to talk about today the most and that was this terrible DM that I have to play with on Wednesday nights, who's just a real jerk. And we got in this big old argument about, (laughs) hopefully he doesn't watch. I can see him in chat right now. Um, (laughs) Big old jerk. Who's always trying to stop my character from doing cool stuff. Doesn't let me do anything fun. And he, we, we jumped into this thing, all hopefully sarcasm that you guys can hear um, while I'm saying this, but um there's this thing that I didn't realize as a dungeon master that a counter spell can be countered, right? And that makes sense to me. If I, if I cast counter spell, mm-hmm. then your, your wizard might say, well, you know what? I'm going to counter your counter spell so it doesn't work. But what I was having a hard time figuring out or dealing with was more that they, they started a spell, like so they started a fireball spell or they started a lightning bolt spell and in between that spell, I try to counter, then they counter me. They go back 
to casting the rest of the spell. And in my brain, I was just having such a hard time thinking about, well, I'm going to stop half of my spell now. I'm going to cast a totally different one. And then I'm going to come back to the spell I was casting and finish that one off. So there's this weird mechanic that was happening between, you know, a, a spell duel. Um, and I just thought that is such a weird mechanic. Did you know that's happened? Has that happened in one of your campaigns? Have you used that against your players? You're talking about countering a counter spell? Um, well, starting a fireball. Okay. Noticing you're, you're going to get countered by somebody else. So then you counter them. Mm-hmm their counter spell so you don't get countered and you go back to casting your fireball right that's how it works as yeah. far as i know yeah i didn't realize um, that <laughs> oh okay yeah uh it was uh i i have not ran um a lot of wizards actually now that i think about it i don't think i've had a wizard in any of my games um oh, so we have not run into weird counter spell things but i i know the argument and i've like looked it up but yeah yeah that because you countered the counter spell, that spell, that original spell still goes off and you have to like, it's weird. Cause you're like layering things. And then um, there's a, there's a misunderstood rule where a lot of people believe, and I used to believe this too, that you can only cast one spell per action. Turn. So, or per turn. Yeah. So if I'm on, if I'm casting fireball, well then I can't cast counter spell because I'm already casting fireball, but that is not true. Mm-hmm. The the rule is referencing bonus action spells, where if I cast a spell with a spell slot with a bonus action, then I can only cast a cantrip. But since you use your reaction for counterspell, you can totally counterspell a counterspell and, and yeah, crazy mechanics. Uh, and we've seen it a couple of times in my Sunday game, because we do have a wizard in there, and, and he's very counterspell heavy, like he enjoys stopping that that's my guy yeah my so. guy was wrapped around a counter spell wizard so he's meant to stop another wizard that's how i was building it. yeah and that's kind of how this is because i mean spells can hurt and they can be really crazy um what one of the interesting things i find about counter spell though is that uh we don't know what level to cast counter spell at um mm-hmm. and so like how do you handle that or how does your dm handle that do you roll like arcana checks to be like yeah you get the feeling that this is a fifth level spell you get the feeling of this because unless they they state it like nobody really knows so yeah um i think most of the stuff we've ran into have been lower level spells and i think as you get into the higher levels that yeah. becomes more prominent but i don't think it it at fourth level or third level it's already handling those spells. It's only once you start, we don't even have access to fifth level, sixth level, seventh level spells yet. Um, and I don't know if we've had any fifth, sixth, seventh level spells cast at us yet. Fifth or fireball was a third level spell. So it wasn't right. a big deal. Um, so it know, was interesting. Yeah. There isn't like a hard, fast rule, I think. And maybe there's, maybe there's something from uh, Jeremy on Twitter about this. Uh, I could, I, now that I think about it, there's probably something that he tweeted out about it, but I think that's an interesting problem because a lot of times a dm will even slip of the tongue be like all right so he's casting cone of cold okay well now i know that that is a x level spell i'm going to cast counter spell at that same level to like ensure that it's countered and it's just kind of like oh well as the dm i shouldn't have announced that now i feel you know like or or do you get in an argument of like well your character doesn't know that so then it's like yeah but my I know that. So I don't yeah. want to waste like yeah. a third level spot. So, you yeah. know, or sp- but my wizard is like a 19 intelligence, which really is like, you know, uh, a genius mm-hmm. <laughs> level. Into- yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Hard. I think I did notice my DM Danimal 
um, there was a point when he, cause he knows I counterspell and I've been counterspelling since the beginning. Cause that's been a real big theme of my character. In fact, all of my spells have messed with him quite a bit. So he, he does a good job of countering me or thinking about what I'm about to do to counter him and mm -hmm. be ready for it. And he did do, I remember some language he was using at some point where he says like the bad guy starts to cast something <laughs> without necessarily giving away the entire thing and but i think you still can only get away with so much because you still have to start to describe the effect and at no point can you not decide to use your reaction like so i can wait to the very end of your description of whatever you're doing and then say you know what i have a reaction i want to do this thing yeah and the thing it made me think about which he does a really good job and it was super funny um and actually he even did a funny thing too where <clears throat> we had a npc wizard with us so we had the the keystone cops of fireball cast i counter this guy counters my counter our wizard counters his counter fireball doesn't go off so there was like three counter spells all going off and like wow. spell slots are going left and right and there's this and probably the funny thing about describing that is nobody saw anything like it was just like a duel of wits or people staring at each other and not really any flashy things happening as far as well, you know, you, the way you might describe it. Yeah, Others if that's how you want different... to describe it. Like I like to describe counterspell as like the fireball does go off, but they like wrap it around or something and, and make or just it go pull into... it apart. Yeah, I, I how do you describe the counter counter? Counterspell and dispel are two spells <laughs> where people are just like, well, I don't, I don't know how to describe that because I, I just like erase this magic, and I'm like, but that's so boring. Like you could have all these cool magical effects to, to, to counter a spell or to dispel a spell, but how you counter a counter is, uh, maybe as the fireball's going off, he's trying to rip it apart. Your counterspell is actually holding it together. And yeah. so I, I don't know. I just like that idea. So the whole thing made me think about, because from a player standpoint, I want to argue, right. I want to, Oh, I want to do this thing. And the DMS against me and that whole thing. But when you step away from it, when you, you know, you are just thinking about the fun of the game and it made for an epic fight. It made for a lot of swinging this way and swinging that way. And lots of cool moments. It reminded me as a dungeon master also to remember that your characters, not always don't always outthink your characters <laughs> every now and then let them do that thing that you know they want to do or it's, it's iconic for their character to do mm -hmm. so they feel like that's the thing i do if if i'm the big barbarian who who goes in and i can take a ton of damage and it's really cool how i'm able to do this for my party and i'm able to absorb this stuff don't always as a smart dm then just bypass the barbarian and go for the guys in the back right you're just like i'm not even going to put damage into that guy i'll just bypass him and deal with him at the end or i'm just going to hold person that guy and be done you can do it every now and then to shake it up but let them be iconic let them be that character they want to do and do those cool iconic things just make your it your fights dynamic you know just just add enough stuff in there that it's not reliant on one thing doing you know, the one big boss. And if they shut the one big boss down, that's the end of the encounter. I'm finding that you want to have multiple things in play, whether it's environmental. Uh, Damble did this good thing. I'm sure it's in the module, but maybe he added some pieces into it that this guy was able to teleport away and put himself into different positions to really challenge our group. Because if he wasn't able to move like he did, we were probably going to take him down in 
and maybe a round or a round and a half with the amount of damage that our guys are putting out. And a, and a party knows to focus fire, right? Dungeon masters are pretty good about not necessarily taking everything that's on the board and then focus firing down a character because we know how that might make somebody feel if it's just like, oh, I'm going to kill your character and now I'm going to kill your character. That's, you know, but players are never afraid or ashamed of focus firing down a bad guy. In fact, they love it and they 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 do it with glee mm-hmm. if they can. If they can kill your guy in one shot or they've come up with some, oh, I have this magic item that I forgot about and guess what? You're banished to the nine hells and you're never coming back. And that was your big bad guy who owns the big black pyramid and that's the end of that. Oh, okay. As a dungeon master, you failed because you didn't make the, the encounter dynamic enough. You didn't have environmental effects going on. You didn't have little minions messing with the party while the big bad guy was trying to do its thing and you know you've got to make your your fights really dynamic i think if you're gonna face off a a smart four or five player party of you know mid to high level stuff that was what i learned this week for myself (laughs) it was really good i'm still i hate that counter rule that that counter spell rule because i really felt like if you're gonna have a wizard duel there needs to be a way for you to counter the spell of a wizard, right? Two wizards fighting, take everything else out of the equation. It's just two wizards are about to fight. It comes down to now the person who gets to cast the spell also gets to counter the person who's trying to counter. And that just seems counterintuitive to me for wizards dueling. Like, I just don't like, like how there should that be a separate mechanic for out. wizard dueling. Yeah. Like, like, like in dungeon crawl classics, which or you should something. totally read yeah, that yeah, situation. Yeah. They have all these kind of like wizard duel rule. It's like a whole subsection of rules just for how right. can a wizard attack another wizard with spells or magic users, yeah. I should say. So, so it was interesting. I learned a new rule. Um, we still had a good fight, and um, that was Tomb of Annihilation. Without trying to spoil too much of it, I think we've just ended a big major part of that, and I think we're about to move into the net the last major part. Cool. Um, the big kind of the what the whole thing is named about the tomb i'm assuming at this point um so we've gotten everything done up until that point so it's been really fun um it will also be interesting the way i think it goes because i've not watched anybody play tomb and i watched some other groups play tomb annihilation but mostly through just the jungle part right mm-hmm. moving around in the jungle exploring and doing things i didn't really do much past that and but I get the impression or the feeling that once you hit this point in this module, things speed up. So it may be that it's only, you know, maybe it's seven more sessions or maybe five, six or seven sessions. It shouldn't be too much longer, and the whole thing is wrapped up. So it'll be interesting to see what happens after that too. Like, do we get moved into another module? Does the group then say, "Hey, that was great," and we all move on? um do we play in something else does somebody else take the dm helm and then that group runs through something we're, we're at that point where those ideas start to come up do we start new characters and go somewhere else and do something else uh you know so in that time slot or we'll see what happens yeah it's cool. interesting but i'm having a lot of fun playing a war mage um and it's awesome i really enjoy it a Sweet. ton so play again this coming up week what did Jordan get to do while playing Dungeons and Dragons? Because you got like three games. You play Friday, Saturday, Sunday at this point. I did. So you three day run of gameplay. Uh, so Sunday is uh, my game with my Eldritch Knight, my Warforged Eldritch Knight, and we're coming up on it was it was the the final battle, 
And so an army is attacking this kingdom and we're trying to keep the, the we're commanding NPCs and trying to do all kinds of stuff. Um, I ended up getting a infernal tack, which allows me to summon a nightmare mount. And I didn't realize that the nightmare mount could fly. So that was really fun. I was like, oh, I'll summon this. I got this magic item. We'll see what it is. And then they handed me the stats and I'm like, I can fly 90 feet. Holy cow. So I'm like zipping around on this, this horse with my sunblade attacking everything. We had a lot of fun. Um, that's a two-parter. So we're going to finish it this Sunday because the fight was literally that long. Like, I think we were in combat for like three hours straight. Um, and we need to like, and then after we kind of got rid of all the minions and the army is dwindled, then the big bad evil guy showed up. And so now we have to take care of him. Uh, it's going to be kind of crazy. I'll probably talk about this more next week because I want it to be finalized. Um, but yeah, so, but then in salt marsh, we did a really interesting thing where in the game, there is a, a, a point where your players can basically be part of the lizard folk Olympics. And there's a bunch of like lizard folk games that they can compete in and, and against lizard folk. And it's like, it's just a battle of whatever. And, and one of them is like hurling a tortoise shell as far as you can into the ocean. And another one is uh, battling uh, or grappling fish and who can hold the fish the longest. So everybody kind of makes strength checks to see who they can hold the fish. Um, the last one is uh, there. The one of the lizard folk has hidden a magic ring in the bottom of the ocean in a, in a sunken, uh, ruined area. So there's a bunch of like buildings and stuff underwater and you have one physical hour to find this ring before the lizard folk find it. Um, and they set it up so that the lizard folk will find it in an hour or you, so you have to find it in less than an hour. Otherwise the lizard folk automatically find it. Uh, this was a fun mechanic because I literally put an hour timer on my phone and I made it so everybody could more or less see my phone. And I said, are you guys diving in? And they're like, we're diving in. And I'm like, and go. And I hit, you know, go on my hour long timer. And they had one physical hour to find this ring. And they didn't know where it was. And there were, there were fights. There was misdirections. There was like a lot of investigation checks to look through rubble, trying to find this ring and trying to find all this stuff. Uh, and it was a really interesting mechanic. I've never done that before where I'm like, no, you guys have literally one hour it made combat go super fast because they were just like, uh, we got to get through this combat really, really quickly because we're wasting time. Even though a combat is like six or, you know, maybe like 30 seconds long, mm-hmm. um, in game time, it's, you know, probably 15 to 20 minutes in actual time. So they really were trying to speed up combat and they were trying to do a bunch of other stuff. And it, it was really interesting. So I was curious if you'd ever used a physical timer with your players, like maybe a uh, a puzzle or maybe something like that where you're like, nope, you literally have 15 minutes to figure this out. And it's 15 real world minutes, not to, you know, not to med- or not, not anything that your players will do in game. But yeah, yeah, probably sparingly. Um, but I did like adding it in, especially when, Every now and then in the middle of a fight or even it's not even in a fight where I will do it quite a bit. It's when they're having conversations and tense conversations with NPCs that they just come across, because what they tend to want to do is they want to talk with each other about, well, you know, like they want to step back and say, okay, guys, how do we want to handle this group of native, whatever we just found in the jungle, let's say. And they're like, well, we don't know who they are. And they just go into a conversation and all, but they get six seconds, you know, in rounds wise to either say, 
what are you going to do here? This, this all is happening super fast. Yeah. And you don't have a way to talk in front of the, the people that are right in front of you. They, they can hear everything you can say. So how are you going to work on this? So a lot of times I like to make sure that they don't have big, long conversations. I like to egg them on with, you guys only have some time stuff starting to happen. Yeah. And then every now and then there's been something where there's a time limit. Um, in fact, every round in the, um, the Abbey, there was a demon that a ritual had just finished and the, the portal out was weakened and the demon was going to try to break out of the portal. And it had like a four round effect. So each time it would throw itself at the portal and try to break it. And I would definitely describe at the top of the round, the room is shaking. You can see if you're look anybody that was looking in the portal, you see this gigantic Balrog like thing hurling itself at what looks like a glass portal window and then little cracks appear. And then let's go with the rest of the round. They're fighting, they're doing stuff and they're trying to beat a necromancer or whatever. And then the top of the round comes around again. You say, you see that thing hit the window again and then more cracks are happening. So just really diving into this, you guys better do something really quick or this is going to get out of hand. Yeah. You better figure it out. So adding tension by using like a, a, some type of time constraint can be really fun. Yeah. And at the end of it, they all go, Oh, like they no, have a yeah. huge deep breath as if they were there as if, because they're just so into it. So I love doing it every now and then just to ramp up that tension. So it's really- I, I wish we had gotten down to the wire, but un- uh, not unfortunately, but like fortunately for my players, they ended up going to some of the correct spots. And so they had like a couple of combats, but nothing really that huge. And then they ended up uh, finding the ring um, with about 10 minutes left to spare on the clock. And the only thing I would have done differently is like, I'm like, I think I, if I, if I knew where they were going to go in what direction I would have slowed down myself in combat to really make it be like, yeah, you guys have about two minutes left and you find it. And, mm-hmm. and so that would have been really fun, but they, they had about 10 minutes left, but they had a great time. And they, once they found the ring, they're like, we run to the surface as fast as we possibly can. And they like swam back to the surface and, and they're like, we won, we won. And so that was really cool. Um, our artificer is buying supplies like gloves and hats and things like that because he can infuse them to make the magical objects. So he's making all kinds of weird magical objects for his character, which is a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah. And we're exercising downtime rules. So that's the other fun thing about this is every, after every kind of big adventure, they get like a week of downtime that they can either bank and use later or they can use during that downtime. But we have one guy running a business. He's running a tavern. And so mm-hmm. he rolls percentile die to see how well his tavern does. We have another guy that really likes to do pit fighting. So he goes to these underground pit fighting rings and wins money that way. Um, our bard does like performances and things like that. So uh, it's it's been really fun, really interesting stuff. And we're having uh, a lot of good times with it. So yeah, that's kind of like, I'm thoroughly enjoying Saltmarsh. I think it's a really great adventure and i like how you can really make it your own um, because there isn't a a large linear path it's kind of divided up into sections and your players can if they want to go on like a million side quests there are not a million but there are plenty of side quests that they can go on before getting back to the main adventure and i really like that it's a lot Mm -hmm. of fun so good good book i recommend it and 
I think everybody's been getting into downtime. Like, like my, my players yeah. are really excited about the keep they just fixed up. They're talking about how they're going to expand it. Our Druid is creating a mm-hmm. grove. Um, the Ranger's looking for a place to put a lodge, and he wants to do a mine because he's a dwarf, and he's been seeing these mountains, and he thinks he could start a mine that would you know, cool. out there. Yeah. And then our Barbarian wants to do a, um, a pirate ship, but they wants one that is a floating pirate ship because he's heard in the lore that there are ships that fly because we have a gith uh, Zarai in our campaign so they have times where he tells stories about where he came from and and so the orc is taking that is like what there's floating ships we could have a floating ship and we could raid places so he wants to find a way to get a floating ship that he could raid places on so they're all looking at ways to do their downtime and do the different things and they all bought strongholds uh, strongholds and followers they've been reading through it and seeing all the cool things that they can do in that too so it's fun. It's I, I think that's a an aspect of the game that maybe not as many people have looked at before, but there's definitely now enough rules out there for a lot of people to take care of that. Running establishments, um, doing potion generation, creating magic items, um, purchasing things or having something purchased for you by having a broker go out and try to find it, that type of thing. Spending that money, spending the the how how is your lifestyle, mm-hmm. you know, and where are you staying, where are you eating in between the adventures, put some time in between there. I think it's been really good. And the players seem to have a lot of fun doing it too. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, and that's about well, and then on my BX game, we had uh, a lot of fun with that, but uh, we're, we're out of time. So I'll talk about BX next week. Um, <laughs> but we had a special guest of Eden Lacey from the Dragon Friends uh, podcast. Mm-hmm. They were on our BX game, which was a lot of fun. And I'm a big fan of Dragon Friends. So I was just like, that's really cool. And so we got to play with Eden Lacey. Um, Lex did a really good job of, of being a, a large desert dragon that we had to interact with. And uh, that was a lot of fun uh it's it's really good that's seekers of the scorpion crown which is today at 1 p.m pacific time i believe was when we'll start on the greyhawk channel if you want to come watch me play some D today it should be a lot of fun very cool that's the one you die in a lot right yeah so i'm down to one character but uh <laughs> anger the cleric has he's lived the last three sessions so here's hoping that he lives a little a little longer um, it helps when you get to higher levels and he's level yes. four. Now you just have a little more hit points, but it's, it's brutal. It's a brutal game. So, <laughs> um, thank you guys for coming out. That's our show. Everybody, uh, really excited to have you in chat. There was a lot of great discussion in YouTube and in Twitch chat. So thank you guys for just being active and awesome. Um, we love, uh, we kind of skim the chat while we're listening to each other talk, um, to try and keep up with mm-hmm. everybody, but, uh, yeah, just hanging out with us. It was really awesome. Um, be sure to like us on iTunes if you wouldn't mind and not like us, but review us on iTunes rather. Uh, and that would be really swell of you. It helps get the show out there further in the world, which is what we're trying to do. Um, because we think we have a fun show and we want other people to know about it. So tell your friends because my friends all watch and listen already. So, (laughs) um, and that's it. Anything else before we take off, sir? Nope. Keep that conversation going on the YouTube comment area and on the v- and the VODs and the Twitch area. It just helps keeping that whole, all the Dungeon Masters giving points and all the players talking about their experiences. We love to hear it. So keep it up yep. and check us out on Twitter. Uh, you can send us questions or uh, show ideas uh, on Twitter. We're always keeping an eye out on that. Yeah, and what we're sure. doing is on there. So. Yep. Sweet. Uh, we will talk to you guys next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Goodbye, everybody. Bye.
Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.